I suppose it's a reality of our being human that at times what may seem silly things gain an importance far more significant than they should have. Let me give you an example. This week, um, we Methodist minister to start doing something called, or started something called supervision, which is part of the legacy of the past case review that looked into historic cases of, of sexual abuse, which means we've got to go off every so often and with someone higher up the, the food chain, in my case the deputy chair of district, and talk about our practice, what we've been doing sort of thing, to make sure everything is, is as it should be. Um, and we were having this conversation about worship, and, and Barbara Glass, the deputy chair, said to me, what do you wear on a Sunday? And so I said, a clerical collar, shirt. And then she said, why? And you sit there and you think, well, for 33 years I've been preaching, and I'm putting on a, a shirt and sometimes a tie, sometimes a clerical collar, and a suit to do it. And she said, just think about the, the, what the congregation were has changed. If you went back 30 years, most of the men, I suspect, would have been wearing a tie, probably a suit. And so what you were has changed, but what I wear hasn't. And so this morning when I got up to get ready to get dressed and opened the wardrobe, I stood there thinking, what do I do? Do I go for the familiar or do I turn up in something that, that would be quite unusual for me and might be a bit of a surprise for you? I decided to go for the familiar. I thought that was perhaps too uh, big a risk, but maybe in a fortnight's time I might surprise you. Little things become important and in a way block out the really significant issues. There are lots of places in the Bible where we are reminded of the importance of what we might call a devotional way of being. Living in tune with God. Seeking those things that help and enable us to come closer to our Father in Heaven. To deepen our understanding of Jesus. To become more aware of the Holy Spirit. They're vital things on our pathway of discipleship that we're encouraged to embrace and follow. And we're going to reflect on something of this this morning. And being a good nonconformist, I want to think about three things. Firstly, that we should be devoted to each other. On Tuesday morning this week, in my um, morning devotions, I read this poem by a man called Ken Medema. And I think this really sums up something of what church should be. If this is not a place where tears are understood, then where shall I go to cry? And if this is not a place where my spirit can take wings, then where shall I go to fly? I don't need another place for trying to impress you with just how good and virtuous I am. No, no, no. I don't need another place for always being on top of things. Everybody knows it's a sham. I don't need another place for always wearing smiles, even when it's not the way I feel. I don't need another place to mouth the same old platitudes. Everybody knows that it's not real. So if this is not a place where my questions can be asked, 
then where shall I go to seek? And if this is not a place where my heart cry can be heard, where tell me shall I go to speak? So if this is not a place where tears are understood, where shall I go? Where shall I go to fly? It's a really powerful message about the importance of what we call fellowship, of the people of God coming together, seeking to be one and sharing. I love the image in the passage that Sandra read for us of the way in which the early Christian community shared their meals with unaffected joy, which wasn't about the the pleasure of what was there in front of them, but was about the delight they gained from coming together, this community of Christ, and sharing something as ordinary and simple and straightforward as a meal. Within the community of the church should be a place where we can shed our tears, where we can ask our questions, where we can truly be ourselves. It's a place for us to come and feel supported, encouraged, prayed for. It's a place from which joy can ripple out. A place where grief draws us together. It's a place where we seek to be one. Now the early church, of course, did that to the extreme in a way by sharing all their possessions and things. And there are traces of that in what we do. But I'm not suggesting that we all sell our houses and and buy a block of flats and live there together. But it's the importance of recognising the significance of our spending time together. Be that in worship, be that on a games night, be that in a house group, these conversations that are significantly important where we can recognize the importance of being one. The picture that Luke delivers of the early church is this image of devotion and at its heart is the people being one together, sharing, listening, caring. I went this week to to book our summer holiday, and it was a far more complicated person than I was expecting for reasons I won't bore you with, but sat there passing the time with the the young lass in Alphams who was doing the necessaries, and explained to her that when we go on holiday, we quite like to be antisocial. We don't want to be in a a, a big resort with huge hotels and all those sorts of things. We're much happier in a a cottage, a villa somewhere where there aren't many people. That suits us. And we like being antisocial, I suppose, because we like being together. We don't want to keep the world out, but the family unit, the four of us are going for the first time in a number of years, it's important in a way for us to have that time together to share the experiences that will ensue. Not to step aside from the world, but to find in that supportive unit the time for joy and conversation, for relaxation, for deepening understanding, for, in a sense, reconnecting and enabling us then to journey as a a family into the future. And the way that we deal with our families, in a way, is something of how we should be in church. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we reveal our devotion to each other? 
How well do we know each other? Where are the opportunities for us to reach out and deepen our awareness? Should we be sharing meals together? Should we be reflecting on matters of faith? Going on the church walk? Whatever it may be. How do we enable the bonds that are oh so important to grow between us? So that we can then more rightly celebrate what we share in Christ. So we're called to be devoted to each other. And secondly, we're called to be devoted to finding holy space. I have a friend who before he moved house, I don't know what he does now, but used to have a log in the woods where he would sit and do his morning devotions. Taking his dog for a walk, this is a place where he would sit in all weathers to try and be with God. It was his holy space. And I want to ask you where you find that essential holy space to be with our God. Yes, in part, it's what we do here on a Sunday morning, but in some ways more important is where we then find it in the midst of everyday life. Do you start your day with God? Do you reflect back on the experience that you've encountered in the day with God? Where do we find time to pray, to read, to think? Where do we break bread and recognize in something as simple as that we are doing something that is deep and profound and of huge significance? Whether it's here in the formality of a communion service or whether it's something you do at home at lunchtime or whenever. How do we show our devotion to the God who in Christ revealed his devotion to us. How do we seek to be in tune with what he is seeking to say to us, both individually and collectively? Not telling God what to do, but intentionally listening in the hope of discovering where God is inviting us to be. Um, this is the book I use for my morning devotions, and uh, and my, my well, sort of tea time devotions when I do my second set. And one of the sets of readings about, is about what the, the writer calls monastic diseases, which sounds quite peculiar. But he's talking about those things that get in the way of those who live these lives getting closer to God. The things that prevent us from getting close. All the reasons that we stockpile as to why we can't do it all those things we allow to infect our minds so that we push God away and to the side. It's a bit like those of you who are the Facebook generation. You know, when you sit full of good intention to do something and you put your Facebook on and an hour later you've done nothing because you've been consumed with whatever it is that's there in front of you. Where is our holy space? The picture in the Acts of the Apostles is of this community devoted to the Apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking bread. 
Is that us, both collectively and individually? We have two great opportunities, in a way, to, to respond to this. We have our own Vision Day that's happening in February that you hopefully are all aware of, but also there's this, this town-wide Do You Know Him initiative where we will have opportunity to share with other Christians the story of Jesus, to share with the community something of what we're about. In a way, here was a gr- two great opportunities to carve out some holy space together as we respond to God's call to us. When do we actively seek to allow God to intrude into our reality? When in the midst of life do we make time for him? So devoted to each other, devoted to finding a holy space, and then finally devoted to seeking vision. One of the joys of being a minister, or a Methodist minister, is the time when you are coming up to moving and waiting for the publication of the list of appointments that are becoming vacant. Because you know if you're moving, your future is tied up in one of those places. And I suppose the danger is you look through it like you would look through a holiday brochure. Trying to find the place you think that could be really nice to live. Somewhere by the coast, maybe. Somewhere that was pretty, whatever it may be. And in a way, looking for something that you think is going to be fantastic for all the wrong reasons. Rather than seeking God's wisdom as to where from the list of possibilities might be the right place. You know, so, you know, this wisdom has taken us to Nottingham and Clitheroe and Bradford, and here to Skipton. We didn't come here for the countryside. We came here because it seemed to be the right thing to do. How are we as a community seeking this vision? Joel, this prophet of old, is really quite instructive here. The intriguing thing about Joel is that we actually know very little about him. There is nothing in his words that enable us to pinpoint when this was written. There are arguments that he might be the earliest of the prophets who have written his ideas down, that he could be the latest, and he could be anywhere in the midst of that whole span of history. But that little bit that Ethel read for us is really important because it is a heartfelt prayer as Joel anticipates this great day when people will dream dreams and see visions, when the Spirit will be sensed and understood and the people of God will know the direction that God is inviting them to travel in. It's a fantastic hopeful piece of writing in the midst of whatever else it is that Joel has to say. And it reminds us as people of the New Testament that this spirit that Joel longed for came at Pentecost. And that part of this seeking vision process for us 
is about seeking out the Holy Spirit. It's praying that God will speak to us and through us. That he will offer to us an image of the pathway which we are invited to journey on. It's a really exciting thought of the community of Christ intent on discovering to what God in Christ is calling us. And how that may help us share the reality of what we have discovered with the world that is beyond our doors. Because the Do You Know Him initiative in which we're going to be involved is in part a discipleship thing. Is us having the chance to listen again to the stories of Jesus and see what they mean for us. We do on a, a regular basis. But equally it's about how we can as a community of faith of different denominations seek to share some of that with the people who are beyond the church and help them to grasp the vision of what God can do for them. as we share something of what God has done for us and is doing for us. When Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see, he was presenting a really significant challenge. He wasn't bombarding Nathaniel with theology. He wasn't expecting him to, to read hundreds of books or whatever it was. He was saying, just have a look. Come and meet this man. See what he's like. See if he resonates with you. What's our vision? For ourselves and for the life of this worshipping community. What's our vision as we anticipate the journey that lies ahead? How devoted are we to being God's people? So here, here are some challenges. How are you going to try and get to know everybody else better? Where can you find some more holy space to discover more of God? And what in the midst of that is God's vision for us as a community? These are exciting days for a whole variety of reasons. For the church in Skipton. For St Andrews. It feels like we're on the threshold of a new beginning. And the question we have to ask 
Is, our, is this something to which we are devoted? And how is that devotion going to be revealed in this day and in the days that lie ahead? Our prayer has to be that this will be a time when we are renewed. When our fellow Christians in town are renewed. In hope together, guided by God, we can bring renewal into our community. Amen.